everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only in the flesh, Miss <laughs> Barbara Cavavit. Oh my God, you actually got my name right. I can't believe it. Ah, I love you even more. Why? What do people usually say for your name otherwise? Kavoit, um, Kovavit. They've, they've, wrecked my name uh, you know for years they just all right i want you two to know i'm feeling very left out right now i am such old news to david that i have not even been introduced as his co-host because david i am the reason miss barbara k is in the house listen okay there's a lot going on now first of all yes i was going to welcome our First official Behind the Velvet Rope co-host in the history of Behind the Velvet Rope. Queen Elise. Listen. At your service, my royal subjects. Elise has been on this podcast so much that, you know what? When she calls and says, I think it's time that I'm a co-host. At this point in our friendship, Elise, I know that when you tell me you want something, there's no point in arguing. Just just say yes. Just and say you yes. know what? Reinhold learned that early on and it took you a while, but truth be told, he's like, I want Barbara on behind the velvet rope. And Barbara was, you know, not really doing, you know, podcasts that focus on Bravo stuff because that was so much like in her past. And I'm like, you know what, David, you want Barbara behind the velvet rope? You're going to have me in front of the rope with you. <laughs> well, it is the reason I'm here, David. I have to say, you know, this is, Elise is the reason. I, listen, I know that. I mean, listen, Barbara, you know, the longer you played hard to get, the more I wanted you. I mean, I don't even want to mention the names I have coming up because I hate to mention guests that haven't aired, but like, we have like really big, like A-list celebrities but no, Barbara Kay does not want to. So yes, it is all because of Elise that you are here today. And that is why Elise is our first official co-host ever. And I'm so excited to talk to the both of you. And we're on location in the Hamptons at Elise's gorgeous house. Now, Elise, listen, you own this gorgeous Hamptons house. You own a gorgeous, do I don't know if you are, were you ever at Elise's house in the city? Yes. Gorgeous apartment. Gorgeous. Thank you. She has an extensive background in financial services, trading. You're a crypto trader. Now, gorgeous hot husband, gorgeous, smart, successful daughter. All of these accomplishments. But you know what? This might be your biggest claim to fame. You are co-hosting. I have to tell you, everything I've done up till now has all been a lead up to co-hosting and interviewing the one and only Barbara Kay. I'm just... (laughs) I'm like, for clamped. <laughs> well, you know what? You guys are both amazing speakers, especially you, Elise. I mean, you can talk about anything and get it right. So I'm excited to talk to you guys. Thank you. Well, listen, I've got a lot of questions about how the two of you met. I just, I have questions. But first, I want to know a little bit. Listen, we all know about Elise. You can go back and listen to six episodes mm-hmm. where Elise told us everything. But Barbara... Elisa and I, Lisa's going to help me. I want to know more about you. So let's go back to the Bronx, where you're from. Okay. You say that you love me just because I got your name right. I love you just because when I hear you're born in the Bronx, (laughs) you're starting at a 10 out of 10 for me. So 
as a little girl growing up in the Bronx, like where does this come from? This love from construction? Like, were you playing with tool belts and construction toys while your colleagues were playing with Barbies? Yes. So it all started out when I was playing with my Barbie dolls and I grew up in the Bronx, as you said, in a small two bedroom apartment, very close knit family. And I had every Barbie doll imaginable, imaginable, the Barbie bus and the Barbie airplane and the Barbie camper. And I was obsessed and I still have my Barbie dolls today. And my dad walked through the door with two by fours when he came home from work. And you can imagine like these two by two by fours and eight feet long coming into our apartment. And I was nine years old at the time. And I said to my dad, what are you doing with all this wood? And he said, I'm going to build a bunk bed with you so your sister and you have more room in your bedroom. So I was like, Dad, I want to play with my Barbie dolls. I don't want to build. I don't know how to build. And he put a hammer in my hand. And for the next three weeks, we built bunk beds together that my sister and I slept on. And it wasn't only the fact that I built the bunk beds with my dad, but it was the patience that he had to teach me how to hold a hammer, how to drive the nail into the wood. And it was just, you know, a feeling for a young girl to have her father and the patience and support and to have the transformation, like the physical aspect of seeing these bunk beds that I built with my dad and my sister and I sleeping on it. It was just such a a, a feeling of accomplishment as a young woman. And I tell you, that feeling of accomplishment really grew my confidence and self-esteem at a very young age. And no matter how hard it got, I always was that person to get up and do it again. And I really believe my dad instilled that, you know, you work hard and you reap the benefits of the work that you put in. So So what type of child were you? So you said that you got confidence at a very young age because you were building and creating outside of that in school. Were you outgoing? Were you more reserved? Were you a tomboy? Were you a girly girl? You know, I was more of a tomboy. I, um, I like to climb trees. Um, I like to hang out with boys. Um, but I grew up in the Bronx and it was rough in the Bronx. And if you were riding your bike, chances are you were going to get thrown off your bike. And I went to tough, tough Bronx schools. And every day was literally a fight. So I wasn't a girly girl because I think, you know, since I, when I was nine, I had big boobs, you know, a lot of hair and I looked like, you know, kind of a, a sexy nine or 10 year old. And I wanted, I tried to hide that because when I went to school, I didn't want anyone picking on me, you know, because to me, it was like more of, a freak. It was like freak. I was, I was a freak to have big boobs at nine years old, you know? So nine I, I is very young. I mean, yeah. That's like prepubescent. That's yeah. very young to have developed. Yeah. I was very young. And I think, um, you know, I just remember growing up in, um, in an area where people played in the schoolyard, you had a ball. That was about it. You had a rubber ball to play with. Um, Maybe you had a bicycle and it was just when we went to Montauk every year growing up as a kid, I can remember my parents taking cardboard boxes and um, packing canned soup and tuna fish and things like that because, 
you know, we couldn't really afford to go out to eat all the time. My mom was a teacher and my dad was an engineer. And I just grew up in um, very humble beginnings. But I think that really instilled in me like this kind of work ethic that, you know, I, I just never stopped. You were Barbie from the block at <laughs> I'm Barb the Builder. <laughs> Barb the Builder. So then, you know, you go to SUNY Oswego, you graduate, you arrive in Manhattan. So like, what's it like, you know, now you're entering your career? Like, what's it like at the beginning, like as a woman entering the construction world? So I, I have a degree in finance and economics. Like you said, you did your homework, David. Very good. From SUNY Oswego. Listen, you thought you were just going to come on and I was going to be like, you know, let's talk housewives, honey. This is a real show here. (laughs) I I see that. And um, so I really thought, you know, growing up, I remember reading in the New York Times magazine about this woman. Her name was Aline Gazzarelli. She was like the first, maybe you've heard of her, Elise. She was like the first woman on Wall Street. And um, I wanted to be like her. I wanted to run a mergers and acquisitions department. And I thought with a degree in finance, I was going to do that. And I soon learned that, you know, it was really a man's world. And my boss, I was 21 years old at the time, my boss overturned my desk because I really wanted to get involved in the trading aspect of where I was working. And he just wanted me to go get him coffee, you know, every hour. And I ended up leaving, getting fired, actually. I didn't leave. I got fired from that job. And I heard my mom and her friends talk about, like, the whole, the contractors that never showed up. And, you know, honey, can you get this done? Can you hang the picture? Can you fix the leaky faucet? And I was like, you ladies should know how to do all this stuff yourself. So a light bulb went off in my head. And I said, I'm going to start a home improvement company and focus on women that couldn't get things done in their homes. So I went to Minuteman Press with $60. I made up some business cards and I called it stand-ins because I was a home, I was a stand-in for the homeowner. It said, don't fuss, call us. And I listed every home improvement that could possibly go on in your home. And I stood outside of this shopping center and um, I lived now, in- How home. old were you at the time? 21? So about 22 at the time. And um, I, we had moved to Nurshell by this point, Westchester County. And um, I lived at home and I put my home phone number on these business cards. So my mom would answer the phone and she'd, she'd be like, Barbara, it's Mrs. Birnbaum from Scarsdale. And she says that you're going to fix her leaky faucet. And I'd be like, that calls for me, mom. And, sh- and she's like, well, what do you know about fixing a leaky faucet? And I said, well, I know nothing, but I'm going to learn. So then I would look in the local paper, find, okay, leaky faucet, that's a plumber, right? So then I would find the plumber. I would bring the plumber to the, to the woman's house. And I would say, Mrs. Birnbaum, this is going to cost you $100. And then the plumber would charge me $50. And that's how I started. And I grew my business over the course of 20 years you know, to, to be a very large construction company in New York City, but not without pitfalls. I mean, I had really hit rock bottom at one point in my life. And we can go into that because I'm always, I'm always trying to tell people it doesn't, you're not, the trajectory does not go straight up, you're going to hit a wall at some point, And there's going to be a learning curve, there's going to be something that is going to be a setback in life. And, you know, it's the people that persevere and are able to get back up and do it again, and not quit. Because if you quit, you're done. And I always tell people don't quit, because if you quit, you're out. 
So just keep going. And eventually most successful people have fallen flat on their face at some point in their life, including Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, right? All these people had an idea. They got knocked down. They had to start again, knock down, start again. So you are a survivor and a victor. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like to think of myself as a, a survivor and somebody with a lot of courage. Absolutely. And so when you started in construction, did I have to ask, did you ever come across most people's favorite ex-president, Donald Trump? Yes, I certainly did. And um, I used to go out with um, a girlfriend of ours who we both know, Heidi Albertson, who actually was a friend of Donald. So I met Donald through her and I tried to get business through Donald Trump at one point. Um, and then a few people said not to pursue it. So I, I didn't because he didn't have a very good track record at the time with paying his bills. So I never, I right. never pursued that. So then, you know, you started your own company. Like we all know, you're now the CEO of Evergreen Construction. I mean, now you're there, you know, you will talk about, you know, when you kind of fell on your face, as you say, and like your company's very successful, you know, like has the construction industry come far? Like how are women perceived now? And like, did you have a lot of those Me Too movements like along the way? Well, if you read my book, Heels of Steel, which is a novel, but it's really based on my story, you'll read names have been changed, but the situations are the same. Um, there was a lot of Me Too movements, Me Too um, instances in that book that happened to me. And, you know, for 20 years, I've been literally breaking through, chipping through, trying to get through a concrete ceiling, glass ceiling, whatever you want to call it. And I feel like 25 years later, I finally have earned that respect um, of having some of the biggest clients in New York City right now, the biggest corporations in New York City. But it hasn't been without, you know, a lot of struggle, um, a lot of doors slammed in my face, um, a lot of cat calling on job sites, a lot of ridicule, a lot of people telling me I, you know, on job sites trying to demean me by telling me I don't know how to read the, the plans or, you know, saying how can I be the CEO of the company. So there's been a lot of that. But you know, when I got hired to do Harvey Weinstein's um, office. That was your vindication, girl. That was it, right? Yeah. I mean, that was such that a feeling, not only a feeling for myself, but a feeling for all these women that had gone through this, you know, in their own way, um, being sexually harassed by Harvey Weinstein. And, and here I was ripping it down. So I was ripping it down, not only for for me, for the company and for like the landlord, I was doing it for all those women. Was that televised or video? You literally tearing down Harvey Weinstein's office. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of footage of that. And um, actually the Hollywood reporter wrote a big article about me taking it down to the ground. And it was, um, it was right Burn before that COVID. down. <laughs> Burned it down to the ground, babe. <laughs> Did you call Georgina Chapman to come and witness this? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't want to rub that in her face. 
Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I make decisions based on what is good for me, not everyone else. I live my life unapologetically and authentically as myself. And that is why when it came time to lose weight, the only thing that worked for me was Noom. What I loved about Noom is that they don't label foods good or bad, foods permitted and foods that are never permitted. They take a psychology-based approach and rather than focus on the food, they focus on why we make the choices that we do. Noom has helped me break so many bad habits, particularly with sugar. I love sugar candy, Skittles, Swedish Fish, Starburst, you name it, I love it. Rather than just say those foods weren't allowed, Noom helped me understand why I have these cravings, especially at certain times of the day. And slowly I started to change these habits. I crave sugar less, I shopped better. Noom, I cannot recommend enough. The app is so easy to use also. And what I love best is it only takes 10 minutes of your time a day, just 10 minutes. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. You can sign up for this trial at noom.com slash velvet. That's right. By listening to this podcast, you too get to try Noom. You can sign up for your trial at noom.com slash velvet. And Noom is N O. O-M, noom.com slash velvet. Go there, sign up for your trial and let me know how it works out for you guys. It's great and it has really helped me. What about, so right, so um, that was one of my questions too about Heels of Steel. So it is, I mean, because I think there's some confusion, like it, it is your story, like you change the names, but it technically is your story. This is, it's like a fiction, but it is based on your life. Yeah, I mean, I originally had written two nonfiction books. Um, The first one was Room for Improvement and then Invest in Your Nest. And then I wrote this proposal because I always had this feeling that other women out there, you know, it's important when you are a pioneer in your field or your trade that you lead the way for other women. Because if you don't lead the way, then it kind of falls by the wayside. So it's my responsibility right now to be able to encourage other women to not only become, you know, CEOs of their own construction company, but to be engineers and to be electricians and plumbers and, you know, other, other trade trades, trades that women can do. So architects, engineers, um, so I think uh, if I don't get out there and really promote that I'm a, a successful woman in construction, then it'll die with me. And then people won't realize that this is a viable, um, you know, and, and lucrative business for other women to enter. So that's why I'm always trying to, you know, promote it and have colorful hard cats and do, <laughs> you know. When did you, you mentioned, like, when did you have this big setback that you mentioned? Like, when did that occur in your career? When I had a, oh, um, this happened right after 9-11. I mean, I I had a $100 million business. It was a big business. And by the time I was 30 years old, I was a wealthy woman. And um, after 9-11, you know, in construction, if you don't keep uh, churning, you know, the big revenue and you have um, a, a lot of employees and a big infrastructure within within your own organization, you're going to run out of money, you know, if you don't have that, that work coming in. So it was kind of um, that feeling where I had been doing it for 10 years and I was tired of, 
at that point, the harassment that I was dealing with, I mean, it was such a tough business. And I'm talking about like, this is 2001. I had been doing it like a good 11 years at that point. No, a little more, 12 years. And I was ready for my next chapter because I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with the the ridicule anymore and the doors being slammed in my face. And, you know, 20 years ago, it was a lot different than it is now. People, you know, we're talking about diversity now and inclusion. We didn't have any of that back then. So I was like the freak of nature being in construction. So I decided to create um, a brand called Barbara Kay, and it was a line of tools for women And I was trying to emulate what Martha Stewart had done in more of the decorating space. And I wanted to be in the home improvement space. So I created a toolkit, which was a patented toolkit that I designed. I hired an industrial designer to actually draw it for me. And I had um, a a mold made of it. And I took in my $6 million case, you ever watched the $6 million man? And they had like, Uh they would take their handcuffs and So I put this mold in a case. I got myself on a plane to Taiwan and I met with manufacturers that would make, it was like a Prada looking bag. And I don't know if you know about injection molds. And so it was an injection molded translucent blue case and every tool that you would need for for in your home that those women called me about, you know, 15 years before to fix their leaky faucet. Well, I, I wrote a guidebook and I put every tool in there. And I had them manufactured in Taiwan, came back to the United States, and I called every retailer in America and got them into Bloom. They ended up being in the window of Bloomingdale's, Target, oh, yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, so I ended up with 22 SKUs from like a road. Ro- this was before like, you know, you were able to press a button in your car to get help if you got pulled, right. you know, stuck. So I had a roadside safety kit. I had a college dorm survival kit. So it was all about empowering women with the tools they needed to succeed so they didn't have to rely on anybody else. So really about self-sufficiency. And that was really something I really, truly always have believed in, that women should always be self-sufficient. And, you know, I'm like a real believer in women. I guess that's why I'm bisexual. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, I'm going to have to come over to your, to your room over there. <laughs> Are you In fact, on? I'm coming, babe. I'm, you wait there. I'm coming. One mention of being bisexual and Elise is out. Elise is now. Switching. Oh, she's not. Kidding. She's switching rooms. You're done, David. You're done. <laughs> Listen, I mean, well, no, I mean, you are here today because here of Elise. Comes, here she comes. She's really coming over to you. I am now left sitting alone, everybody. At least they just kissed on the lips. So <laughs> listen, I, I will, maybe I'll make a match here today or something. Oh my God. Well, she's married to like one of my most favorite people. I mean, he is the nicest, sweetest, loveliest man. So she's very lucky and he's very lucky. And he's hot. I posted a picture of all of us the other day in one of my, <laughs> Gay male friends was like, "Who's that guy?" And I'm like, "He's very good looking." Thank you. Really is. is, It is true though, Barbara. You are here today because of Elise. I mean, you're having a very good time. Thank you for gracing us with our your presence. But okay, so how I want to know: Did the two of you meet? Like, did some who who asked who on the date? Who's a great story? I love this story. I'll let you tell. Well, this is from my perspective. There's always like you know. 
I think this happened on Twitter. Um, and there was a tweet last summer. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm relatively sort of active on Twitter, not, you know, relatively active on, twi- uh, on Twitter. And I think I remember there was somebody that commented and maybe they said, have you met her? And Elise said, no, but I would. And you can tell me if I'm wrong in any way. Um, and then we tweeted each other and said, well, would you want to meet? And I was like, sure. And it was literally that day that, that day. we meted, that we met. <laughs> and um, we met at this restaurant in Bridgehampton. And the highlight of that lunch was feeding each other pizza. <laughs> and I immediately, like, fell in love with Elise. I mean, you know, you, you don't know. I didn't know her and she didn't know me. But the most beautiful part about our relationship is that it wasn't it was built based on the fact that we were both kind of scorned by two people from housewives and we are two really, really solid women. You know, whatever you say about us, we are solid as gold and, and the other two, maybe not so much. And so I definitely not so much. Yeah. And I think we really (laughs) bonded on the fact that we wanted a really good female relationship and to have, you know, this really strong friendship, which we do. And it wasn't like, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened in a course of, of the year of the past, I guess, year and a half or yeah. a year. Yeah. And um, it's just been an amazing, it's so amazing to be able to have a friend like Elise that is loyal, um, that you can trust that you can rely on, um, you know, and it's something that I didn't get from my other friendship that I had for a long time. And that was really, so, so it was something that I gave, but I didn't get back. But now it's like a very um, mutual. Symbiotic. It's a symbiotic relationship. And I think that people were constantly comparing me to Barbara when I was on the show. And then they kept saying, you two should know each other. You two should know each other. So it totally made sense that we, we should know one another. And we definitely shored one another up that neither one of us was crazy, right? That I was like, wow, you experienced that too? Because walking into that lion's den on Roni and Barbara had history with the Countess, Um, and I had history with basically a lot of the other women, right? Obviously closest with Ramona, but I knew Luann, although for some reason she denies knowing me. She's like, you know, Judas who denied knowing Christ three times. (laughs) Not that I'm Christ, but it was a, it was real outright denial for whatever reason. Um, I knew Sonia, I knew Dorinda, but So I came into this knowing people, and yet I have to tell you, when I watched Barbara's episode and she did a confessional saying she felt like the little kid that was dropped off at camp with all the mean girls and your parents are leaving you and you're standing there like kind of like Bugs Bunny with your ears flopped down and your eyes rolling with tears, I'm like, yes, yes, they were the mean camp girls. They really were. It's like, I mean, look, you guys, right, like, it's almost like you bonded in a sense that you really did go through similar situations. Did meeting kind of like validate, like, did you, did you both each question, like, am I crazy? You know what I mean? Like, like, is it me or is it, and then maybe you found validation, like, oh, wait, her situation is the same as mine. Now I know I'm not crazy. 
Yeah. I mean, I really did feel like I was crazy because I was really hurt by Luann. Um, I was hurt because it was such an intimate relationship. I don't mean sexually or anything, but intimate that I felt like she was my sister, you know, like we were, we were um, family. And not only was I close with her, I was close with her kids as well. And, you know, there were things that I did for her when she had, um, you know, was, was going through her problems that people would never do, you know, so I, I felt that I deserved um, a little bit, a lot more than she gave me. And it, it made me feel bad about myself um, that I didn't expect more out of a friendship. And that's why like this is, and I think with Elise too, like I know Ramona very well from being on the show. And I think, um, you know, Elise did not get from Ramona what she deserved. So we both ended up in this position of, you know, being hurt by by two women, but realizing that, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not worth it because we are fabulous women and we deserve, you know, each other and friendships that are worthy of who we are. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. That's right. It was, I think, our mutual falling outs with our former friends was actually serendipitous because it brought us to one another. Yeah. And I believe that this is a lifelong friendship. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I actually miss Elise when I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I came into this room. <laughs> Well, it's not right. That is why she came into that room. She's hot. At least is like, I cannot wait for David to leave. Like it's been a great week. I've been a good house guest though. But you here's the thing. Look, it is what you said. Like it's totally organic. You guys are not friends like a year and a half later, a year later, just because, you know, of a similar situation. There's so much more. And Elise talks about you all the time, Barbara, about how much she loves you. But listen, I've been doing this a long time, Barbara, here behind the velvet rope. <laughs> So don't lie to me, guys. How much of that first initial meeting was spent trashing Luann and Ramona? I mean, we we definitely did some shit talk. I'm not going to lie. But I think it was more about um, how to heal ourselves from it. So it was, it was shit talk, but it was also realizing that hey, we're, we're pretty normal, you know, we're, we're not so bad. So, you know, there are other things that we wanted to learn about each other. And why did we get ourselves in this position and, you know, how to move forward from it, basically. So. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, interestingly enough, Barbara and I really don't spend any time talking about those other women anymore. So initially we talked about it because it was yeah. a little bit like group therapy. We had a shared traumatic event. Yeah. Um, and so initially we talked about it and, and, you know, did you feel this? Did you feel that? And we kind of, you know, it shored one another up. And then from that point on, we just sort of really enjoyed one another's company and we just moved on. Yeah. It, I mean, we see each other a lot. I mean, we're, we're really good friends, you know, and 
it's just amazing that that situation and, and listen, Roni to me was positive at the end of the day. It was a great platform. Um, you know, I came in with the support of these producers and I really, I had a good experience overall. I mean, there was a lot of mental anguish throughout a lot of the scenes that I went through. Um, but overall, I'm so, you know, thankful for it. Um, um, the franchise is amazing. The production company is, is, is pretty stellar. And, you know, I, I, I met Elise. I never would have met Elise if it wasn't for Roni. That is true. And I just have more mm-hmm. of this question for you, Barbara. And I have a question for you too, Elise. But, you know, look, I've watched it. I mean, I've read everything. So, I mean, but just since you're here, like, in your, I want to hear directly from you, like, what went wrong with this friendship with Luann? I mean, like, what really was it? Um, what was really it? You know, she was on the Jenny McCarthy show and she kind of intimated like with friendship, with, with friendships, it's like pulling weeds. And I remember at that point, I kind of like snapped. Um, I remember I was sitting in my office. I remember the day and uh, somebody sent it to me. And I remember calling my PR agent and said, I am done. I will be silent no more. And they called people and us magazine who wanted, you know, the, and that day I went down to us magazine and I did a podcast and I was so angry and so hurt because of everything that I had done for her. And nobody still knows to this day, how much I did for her. Um, when you do all that for someone and, you know, you would say something like that, like that getting rid of my, her friendship with me was like pulling weeds. I mean, it's just outright outlandish. Um, I'm not going to go into it, but let's just say that I'll leave it with that. You know, what was interesting is that when you come on as a friend, the person who brings you on expects you to 100% have their back um, and basically be at their beck and call and be the low man on the totem pole or their punching bag if they want. But you're not allowed to have a personality of your own. And I believe that Barbara walked on eggshells to a, to an extent when she was filming. I walked on eggshells when I was filming I was always very careful to not betray any of Ramona's confidences. Um, Barbara was careful not to betray any of Luann's confidences. And she's still not betraying them. As you can see, she just stopped herself. And it's so tempting to tell the story. Yeah. Um, but I think that that the cast holds the friends of to a completely different standard than they hold one another. If we ever um, spoke to one of them or treated one of them the way they treat each other, oh my God, could you imagine the backs the backlash? But I think this was even worse is that I came on as a housewife, right. you know, so I had a contract as a housewife and I can remember um, I kept a lot of, you know, when, when you're casting to be a housewife, you do a lot of... Um, uh, interviews, you know, casting interviews, and then you have to meet with the production company over and over again. And nobody knows what's going on. So Luann didn't know, nobody knew. And I actually, 
um, was asked to try out from one of the production from one of the producers, JP. And um, she made it sound like she got me on the show, but she didn't get me on the show. And as a matter of fact, she didn't want me to be on the show. So when she found out that I was actually cast as a housewife, she goes, be careful what you wish for. You know, like she didn't want me to be on the show with her. And like Elise said, I was always, you know, I came on it. I don't know if you remember, but the first, you know, first two episodes was all about me protecting her because she had just gotten out of rehab and she didn't want to drink and she didn't want to be around Dorinda. So I wasn't privy to like, you know, you have to include everyone. I was just trying to protect Luann. Like she should have taken me aside and said, listen, you know, you can't do this. I appreciate it, but you can't do this. It's not how, you know, you're going to benefit. So everything I did, I was trying to protect her, not thinking about myself on the show, but you know, and that's where it got me. Right. So if I, if a friend came on to the show or if I were talking to a new uh, potential friend of or cast member at this point, I already could teach them the ins and outs and the do's and the don'ts. No one did that for either one of us and our so-called friends literally just sort of threw us to the wolves. Yeah. Total, 100%. It's, so it's similar. It's like a little different of a situation, but I have a question for you too, Elise, in a second. But wait, Barbara, so you, what, so then what happened? Like you were supposed to be a housewife. And I mean, I think I knew this, but then what? When it was filming was over, they're like, sorry. Yeah. So I went through the whole thing. You know, my mom filmed, um, they filmed me on the job site, on my job sites um, with Zach, you know. So there was a lot of, um, with my sister. And at the end of it, like the very, like we were already back from the cast trip. Um, I remember I got a call from Lisa Shannon, the executive producer. And, you know, the whole thing to me, I wasn't getting along with Dorinda. I mean, we really had an issue together. And I, I told, I went into the producers and said, I'm out. Like there were a couple of times I just wanted to quit because I was like, who needs this? You know, I have a job. Like I, I'm the CEO of a company. I don't need to, you know, film five days a week, six days a week, and then, you know, work, do my day job and then be totally ridiculed by these women. It's just not, I, I don't want to do it. And, but I stuck it out. And I think, you know, when Lisa called me, she was just like, listen, you know, we both know this is not what you want to do. It's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel right. And I, and I said, yeah. And then the whole thing happened with Luann and then Luann made sure that I was not on the show after that. So she kind of put the nail in the coffin. Which is similar to your situation with Ramona, right? Right. Right. Yeah. They have power. Yeah. I mean, production denies it. I, you know, I always see when, um, you know, there's an article and, and production denies that the cast has any power, but they absolutely, absolutely. Have power. They, they got, you know, Luann and um, Bethany got Carol off the show. So yeah. And Bethany got Jill off the show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking of another example. And I think Carol got Aviva off the show way back. Yeah. So, right. It's almost like, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but it's almost like Ramona, wanted you there to be loyal period like not for any other reason but I think we were both loyal 
but they there was no reciprocity. So they didn't feel like they had to be loyal to us. Right. Right. And my falling out with Ramona happened off camera, but it was, it was shot. Her behavior was shocking. And so that was the first time that I was also willing to then film and film with Sonia and talk about saying Ramonaville is filled with one way streets because I was truly blown away how far she was willing to go when I was constantly, you know, putting in stops for myself to not do anything to make her feel betrayed. And when you're sort of sitting there on the sidelines and you're, you're just not being included in conversation or you're being forced out of conversation because they'll say, you don't know, you know, kind of a thing, or you, you weren't here for it. You don't know what you're talking about. Unless you're willing to act like an idiot and completely, you know, make a scene for camera time, which I was never willing to do, um, nor did I want to engage in all of the fights. You know, I would have loved to show about strong, powerful women and strong, powerful friendships, you yeah. know, and I understand that there is natural conflict along the way. Barbara and I have already had a couple of things that we had to talk out with one another, yeah, and misunderstandings. Um, but you know what? You talk it out. You know, she's very good at that. She and I'm trying to be better at it. She's really, really good. She's like, let's get this worked out. Like she'll call and she'll text until because sometimes I, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I don't want confrontation. So, you know, I just kind of crawl up in a ball and I'm like, oh, because you have, you have PTSD from the show. Yeah, that's why I yeah. think you get PTSD from this that any kind of misunderstanding or disagreement is a deal breaker. And so, yeah, that you're right. going to be left. Right. Like I felt abandoned by Luann, you know, and I think I have some of that still. And, and it's other people in my life. Like if I felt abandoned my, by my ex-husband, I just don't want those people in my life anymore. Yeah. And you feel like it's PTSD, like where you're. Yeah, I think I have some of that for sure. You know, and that you're going to get ganged up on. Um, you're going to be like the odd man out. Um, you, you know, they're not going to like you. It's that whole, that feeling of camp, you know, where. Or even on the show, like, I think you have to question people who are on the show and say, hmm, what kind of personality yeah. is successful on this show? Yes. Um, and then when it's a little shocking when you think you're in a good place with someone and then all of a sudden you see that the show's, you know, when the show airs that this person is talking behind your back, you know, like mm -hmm. what Sonia did to me, Sonia all along kept telling me to call out Ramona for the way she was treating me. And I mean, constantly, she's like, you can't allow this. You need to call her out on it. And then all of a sudden when it aired, Sonia says, you know, yeah, you know, at least didn't have Ramona's back. I almost like jumped off yeah. my bed when I was watching that on TV. Um, so I understand that you start to say, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, Elise was on the show and now all of a sudden two weeks went by and I haven't heard from her. Is she like doing one of those, you know, behind my back duplicitous? And so Barb will sort of like send out a text you know, are we okay? And I immediately, I'm like on the phone with her, like, hell yeah, we're okay. You know, you're my girl. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, because like Barb, you say like you came on and like you wouldn't, you know, you were just trying to protect the land. Like you weren't thinking about your own story. Like no. this was real life to you. 
And same with you, Elise, you're saying like, you wouldn't do these crazy things in a scene just for the sake of it. Like, so you both are basically saying like, you came on and were like living your lives, loyal to actual people, or just like not, do you think the people that last on the show, like Ramon, I mean, we're talking like 10, 15 years. Do you think like they get it? Like they are just willing to do anything at you all? You have to, to be a, a complete narcissist. narcissist. Complete. Yeah. And they really are. I mean, I'm not using that word lightly either. It's truly the definition of narcissism. So it's an inability. I believe, yeah. I truly believe that both Luann and Ramona feel like they were 100% the injured parties. And I am, I would never be so Manichaean as to say it is all Ramona's fault, all Luann's fault, or all our fault. I understand that there is a percentage of blame to be assigned. And for whatever role I played in the demise of my relationship with Ramona, it's a much smaller percentage than the role than the percentage assigned to her. But I do have the ability to be introspective and say, "Mm, I probably shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done this. Ramona, Luann completely lack the ability to be introspective, to sit back and say, where was I wrong? What could I have done better? They don't know. They don't even think like that. They don't think like that. They don't have the ability to think like that. There's literally a sensitivity chip missing in their brain they don't have that not only with myself they don't have it with anyone you know so that's uh it's unfortunate and do you think like that's just them or do you think it's like the fame has changed them and this show has changed them i think it's them i think it's them really i think the show just sort of inflated their egos more than their egos were already inflated. But yeah. I think it took those personalities yeah, to be successful on the show because of that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And then do you think that's just what it takes? Like you go to all the other franchises, like those are the people that survive. We see people come and go. Do you think that's, there's the Luann's and Ramona's. In every franchise. I bet you the, the, the <laughs> friend of, in this season, because for Sean, uh, who, whom I've gotten to know, and I think she's more like me and you. She's just, she doesn't want to fight. She, she just wants to have fun and be supportive. Yeah. And so I think that um, you'll see a little bit of a chilly reception. There's a manic personality within like narciss- narcissistic people. And I think the manic side of it is like, the celebrity comes into it. Oh, I gotta be the, I gotta, I gotta, you know, always be in front of the camera. I always gotta be the press, the press, no matter what it is, I gotta be on page six, page six, no matter what it, so then that comes onto it. And then you already have like this narcissistic mental illness and it's just like the trifecta. And then if you drink and you pop pills, then you really got, you know, a volcano happening. So. Thanks for tuning in to our part one sit down with Barbara Cavavit with the first ever Behind the Velvet Rope co-host, Ms. Elise Lane. Stay tuned for part two coming very soon, which I find I find it so interesting that two friends of with back-to-back seasons have such a similar 
experience. They literally have such a similar experience. So we are just about to get into everything that Barbara experienced, everything that Elise experienced. I mean, of course, we talk about Luann and Ramona, and we throw in some Dorinda and Sonia and really just what it means to be a friend of. And, you know, I find it so interesting. We talk about the fact that as a friend of, they didn't really feel that they could go up to other housewives and challenge them and really kind of have equal footing. We're just, we're just breaking the ice on all of this. And then we talk about Barbara's run for mayor. So we do get into some more it's not just Roni. We get to talk about Barbara some more, but stay tuned for part two. We're just about to scratch the surface of what went wrong with both of their RHONY experiences. And then we do talk about Barbara's run for mayor. So stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.